to stay focused. I think the big thing is to, to really focus on one investment strategy. You know, don't chase rabbits. I know you want to go out and make money in real estate and become a billionaire in three weeks, but the reality is it doesn't happen like that. Best ever listeners, before we get into today's episode, I want to ask you, do you have a strategy right now where you are getting leads that come into your inbox while you're sleeping? Do you have a strategy where you are optimized with both Google AdWords and SEO, search engine optimization? If not, then guess what? Today's your lucky day. We've got a free strategy session just for you, and it's with Dan Barrett. If you recognize his name, he was a guest on episode 565, and he is the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy and get a free strategy session to learn with him how to implement an online strategy for your market in both SEO and Google AdWords. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash strategy. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate podcast. We have spoken to Barbara Corcoran from Shark Tank, Robert Kiyosaki, the author of Rich Dad, Poor Dad, and many others. And today we're going to be talking about syndication from someone who knows the business very well, Craig Haskell. How you doing, Craig? Doing great. Thanks, Joe. Appreciate it. Nice to have you on the show. And a little bit about Craig. He is the founder of ValueHoundAcademy.com, which is a syndication and value-add training website as well as a networking platform. It's one of the best resources I know of on syndication. He has over 30 years of experience in syndication and value-add investing. He's owned and managed 7,200 units, 2.8 million square feet of commercial space. I have read one of his books. I might butcher the title, but it's something like Turning a Money Pit into a Money Maker. Really good book on repositioning and highly recommend best ever listeners go check that out. He's also got another book, The Inside Game to Syndication Wealth. He's based in Phoenix, Arizona, and you can check out Value Hound Academy at valuehoundacademy.com. With that being said, Craig, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and what you're focused on now? I think that you've pretty much covered it, but I'll give you a little more insight. I appreciate the opportunity and hopefully give your listeners a few ideas to think about. I basically have started the Value Hound Academy probably early 2000s, and I set it up to help real estate investors, to help real estate professionals learn about value investing, learn about the syndication of value investing, and I help them put those pieces together, and I've been doing that for about eight years. But going back a little bit farther, how I got into this business, I got into this business back in, I guess, the late 70s, 78, 79, when I was going to college. I was really into real estate investing, like a lot of your listeners probably are, and there was a guy by the name of Robert Allen. I don't know if you've heard of Robert Allen, Joe? I've heard the name before. Back then, it was all about nothing down. It was Robert Allen, nothing down. And I was really intrigued by that. Here, I didn't have a whole lot of money, and nothing down kind of made sense. So I got involved with it. And I spent a couple of years. I graduated in, in 82 out in Long Beach, California. 
And I thought, you know, I'm going to do this. So I spent some time trying to find these deals, and I had a heck of a time doing it. And I really liked real estate, and I thought, well, gosh, you know, how do I do this full time? So I thought, well, I get a real estate license, right? That's kind of how you get in the real estate business. But the house thing wasn't so wasn't a real important thing to me. I didn't find a lot of excitement in it. So I decided I want to get into commercial real estate, where more commercial properties, and wasn't about the carpets, the fireplace. It was more about how the numbers work from an investment standpoint. So. I got my real estate license. I started working for a regional real estate broker in the western part of the United States, and I specialized in the office and retail space. And I did that business back in the early 80s, 83, 45. I did that for a few years, and I focused on leasing. I focused on investment sales, did a little bit of management. And what I found was I would say probably 80% of my clients were syndicators, these guys that are packing up investment money and the deals they come across and they get paid fees and they get paid back in profits for this. So I learned a little bit. So I went off to my own and started a management company, a brokerage company, and I worked for a lot of these syndicators. And I said, you know, I tried this before with a nothing down. Let me see if I can put together a business plan and actually go out and raise the money. So I did that. I got my first house back in, gosh, 86, I think it was. It was out in Chino, California, where I'm from, Southern California. And it was a rehab deal. And so I brought in the money. I brought in an investor. We raised $22,000, and we held the property, fixed it up, cleaned it up. I went through there was a whole learning lesson that I went through on that. It's in one of my books. But I learned a lot. And we ended up making about twenty grand a piece. And I thought, hey, I want to do this more. So this is now the late 80s to the 90s. And we had the RTC day. Do you remember the RTC days back, back when we had the savings and loan crisis? Yep. Yeah, that was a huge opportunity. There was all kinds of properties that were just things alone were going under. They were taking these things back. We had to create the RTC, the Resolution Trust Corporation, to dispose of these things. And this happened in the early 80s or the early 90s. I thought, gosh, there's my chance to start syndicating some bigger deals. So I went out and started talking to some of my investors, and we looked at the opportunity. I liked Houston. It was a nice market. But from Southern California, it was a three-hour flight, and you couldn't drive it. But I like Phoenix. Phoenix was, was a new up-and-growing area. It's kind of a boom-and-bust area. And so I looked at Phoenix, and we went out and started buying some properties. I syndicated about 1,500 units. We bought them in the early 90s, sold them in the mid to late 90s, and we made somewhere around six times our money. Made a lot of mistakes. Probably could have made more, but we were there. We took action. Sold most of my properties in the late 90s. I was doing a lot of consulting for some of the larger real estate firms around the country. And then I tried to jump back in the real estate market back in the last downturn, 2007, 2008, 2006, in that range, start buying more properties, more on a joint venture basis where we're, I'm bringing institutional partners. They're putting on most of the money and we're doing the deal versus me going out and raising money from high net worth people. So I did that. And at the same time, I started Value Hunt Academy and I've sold off all my properties. And now I'm just taking care of the value and traveling. So that's a little bit about my background. What is the best way that you found from a structure standpoint for limited partner, general partners to structure it? What's the best way? Well, it depends on your situation. There is no one answer, but I will give you some ideas. If you're doing smaller properties, you know, like single family up to maybe 10 units or something like that, or maybe 5,000 square feet of office or retail space, you can create these partnerships and you can put them into an LLC and make everybody active in the partnership. Make everybody like members of the LLC, that they're managing members of the LLC. And that way you don't have to go to the securities exchange and spend all the money that it costs to create the syndication documents. 
Uh, if you're going to do bigger type deals and you're doing, let's say, more than $300,000, and that's not a hard and fast rule, but if you're going to raise more money doing bigger deals, you're probably going to need to put together some syndication documents. And so you're going to create an LLC, and that's the investors and you, the syndicator, and you're going to create that structure, and you're going to go out and raise money. You've got to have three documents, part of the PPM, what they call the Private Placement Memorandum. And the three documents are the investment circular. Second thing is the operating agreement. That's kind of the rules of the game with the partnership. And the last thing is suitability agreement. You've got to make sure that they're qualified for the investment, and you pick that up to them. So it depends on the size. It depends what you're trying to do, ideally. If you can get accredited investors, accredited investors are investors that have income of more than $200,000 if they're single and more than $300,000 if they're married for two consecutive years, or they have to have the net worth of more than a million dollars, not counting the house. So if you can raise those types of investors, you can just put together the operating agreement and you can put together the suitability agreement. You don't really need to have the investment circular, which is really a more cumbersome thing and more constant thing. And you can just raise as many investors as you want. So Again, going back to your question, what's the best structure? It just depends. What have you seen from a profit share standpoint or preferred returns as far as industry standards? Okay, great question. I recommend people that are new to this business to offer a preferred return. If you've been in the business for a while and you're working with an investment group, probably don't need to do that. But the preferred return, basically what it is, is it's, the investors are going to invest in a deal, but they get the first monies back. They get their investment capital back, and they get a certain preferred return. In today's marketplace, that preferred return is anywhere from 6 to probably 9%. If it's a real Class A, stable property that has a nice operating history, probably closer to 6 7%. If it's more of a rehab that has a little bit of hair on it, maybe some problems, it's probably 8%, somewhere in that range, maybe 9%. But I think it's kind of a safe range that I tell people is probably – seven eight percent as a preferred return in the marketplace and then when you sell your asset all the investors get their capital back and then they get that preferred return let's just say eight percent they get that every year so if the first year you have cash flow you can't pay that whole eight percent let's say you only pay four percent well the extra four percent rolls into the next year and so now they get twelve percent and then if you're doing value add properties typically you're not going to have enough cash to pay in the preferred return so it's going to come out of the proceeds when you sell the property what are some things that you've seen syndicators do wrong? I think the best advice I could give, probably, and I made this mistake, too, is everybody's chasing rabbits. They're chasing rabbits. They're out to try to find deals and just trying to make them find a way to make them pencil. They don't really know what they're looking for. They're out there, if they're like going on a hunting trip, they're just taking a shotgun out there and just shooting at everything. They don't have focus. And so you need to have focus, both from an investment standpoint and from an operational standpoint. I'm going to give you an example. When I came to Phoenix, I didn't have an investment strategy. that didn't have that focus. I was out there chasing rabbits, just looking for deals. And I bought a property and changed it to the name Red Rock. And I'm really struggling. Phoenix, back in the 91, 92 range, we had 19, 20% vacancy rates. It was hard. The economy was bad. They had built 34,000 units the previous year tons of supply. So we go in, we buy these properties, we're trying to compete, and we fix the property up, we put paint on there, landscaped it, upgraded the units a little bit, but we had a hard time competing. So I walk across the property, and I'm looking at it, and I go, who's going to live in this dang thing? I mean, people are moving in down the street, they're offering concessions, giving away free TVs, everything to get tenants. And so I'm moving in, people are moving them out, and that costs a lot of money. 
So I said, who's going to live here and really stay here? And so I looked down the street. I looked at some of the buildings and went down to the local Albertsons market. They just opened up shop. And I'm looking who's shopping there. And I see the types of people in the marketplace. And I go, these are the types of people. I can't take the Scottsdale babes and move them into the areas in the CB areas. They're just not coming down here as much as I want it. But they have focus in there. So I really looked at some of the Hispanics. That's who the market was. And so I said, what can I do to make these guys make their life happy? How can I find out what they want, go out and get it and give it to them? So I found that they liked the community center. So they like had big family gatherings. So I created the whole area where they could meet. They have big families. They like to put in the playground, put in playgrounds. I created an English class at the local church. We taught English. So they move in and they can, some of these people can learn English. So I created this lifestyle. That's really what the core I'm trying to get to is I created this lifestyle. I knew who my tenants were going to be now going forward at my other properties. I had an investment strategy to buy these properties, reposition them towards the middle market, Hispanic market, and creating a lifestyle they can't get anywhere else. And so I took my occupancy from about 70% up to about 92% in three months, and we were able to raise our rents by at least 25% more than market. But the chasing rabbits part, going back to that, just I'm trying to tie this in, you know, you got to have the focus. So when you're out there buying these deals and, and you're looking for certain types of properties, when I bought that Red Rock property, I never would have bought it because it didn't have an area to put a soccer field, and that's where I take tennis courts, tournaments, soccer fields. They didn't have a big area for a barbecue area and, and, and volleyball courts and basketball courts, like a park atmosphere. They didn't have that, so I wouldn't have bought that property. But I learned that. So now when I'm out looking for properties, I have an investment strategy. I know what I'm looking for, and I can make those properties run better than anybody else. If someone were to ask you, what's your investment strategy and how will you operate it just in conversation, what would you say? Hey, my investment strategy is this and I will operate it this way. Okay, well, I'll give you a couple of examples. So let's say you're in the office space, right? You're in the office space and what's the biggest problem? You've got you to be solving the problem. This, this investment strategy has to solve a problem. So the big problem in the office space is if you think about the medical issue with Obamacare, there's a huge flood of medical issues coming on medical supplies, more need for doctors, more need for more space. You could buy middle market office buildings and reposition them towards the growing demand for office tenants and medical space. So you could do retail. This is the problem in retail. Think about retail. Where are we buying most of our stuff? We're buying most of our stuff from Amazon, right? So all these guys that are running bricks and mortar business in the retail space are struggling because uh, most people are buying stuff online. You get, well, how many stores have closed? we got Sports Chalet closed down, Sports Authority. Just saw that one of the big restaurants is losing 100 stores. Macy's is going to drop a bunch of stores. Barnes & Noble's having a hard time. Walmart's struggling a little bit. So all these guys, it's a big problem, right? So you can go out and buy these properties, buy retail properties from these struggling bricks-and-mortar business and reposition them towards service-type tenant that you can't find stuff online. You can't go to the dentist online. You can't go to get a yogurt online. You can't get your haircut online. So that's a strategy. Or an apartment side. The investment strategy could be that there's all kinds of lifestyles. I've been involved with creating senior housing lifestyles, student housing lifestyles, green housing. The green people are nuts. I mean, they really are. So if you can create a lifestyle for them, the services and many, as I talked about, uh, again, the Hispanic property, they're going to pay more for living in a place like that. The millennials is big right now. So investor strategy really is solving the big problem. It's who you are. It's what you become. It's who you become. And the investment strategy is the core of what we build. We build a pitch book. We build a business plan around the investment strategy. A big problem we're solving, and there's an opportunity for that. There's an opportunity to make money. How do you make sure that you have the right team to execute on that strategy? 
because everything sounds good in theory for the investment strategy, but how do you qualify that team? What team are you talking about? You talk the on management team. That's a great point because one of the challenges I did have was you're getting buy-in from the property management company to that we're going to create these properties. And we're going to create a lifestyle around it. It's not just putting up a sign and we're renting these things out. We have a method to our madness. We're going to find out what they want. We're going to reposition our property, build things for them, create services and amenities. And you got to make sure they get bought into that. I know Jerry Fink with Bascom, one of the biggest repositioners, he's had that same challenge too because they have a unique investment, a repositioning investment strategy. You got to really get them to buy in. And once you really have your core of your investment strategy, and this is how I'm going to make money, and this is how I'm going to communicate to everybody, you know, you get people excited. When you're out looking for a property and you're talking to him, maybe you're trying to get an off-market deal, and you're talking to the property owner, and he sees that your investment strategy, you show him your business plan, you show it to him, he says, man, this really fits. You're going to get more excitement from him. Or you're going to go to a lender. He's going to understand exactly what you're looking for, and he's going to match you up with the right financing opportunities, with the right lender that has their portfolio of loans that's going to match your property. Or a real estate broker. They're out there sourcing deals for you. They know exactly what they're looking for. And so you just got to communicate and, and get buying. And I think the pitch book, the investment business plan, it really gets them to understand what you're talking about because you got a plan. You're not just, just trying to fly by the seat of your pants and try to make numbers work. You actually have a plan. What's your best real estate investing advice ever? Well, again, I would say to stay focused. I think the big thing is to, to really focus on one investment strategy. You know, don't chase rabbits. I know you want to go out and make money in real estate and become a billionaire in three weeks, but the reality is it doesn't happen like that. Spend some time, build your infrastructure, put together a nice foundation about who you are. When you go to investors, I found this problem in the marketplace, and it's a big opportunity for us to execute this investor strategy that I have to make money in this marketplace. And when you're able to go out and do that and communicate that to people, they get excited. And that's how you kind of get people raise money before you actually buy a deal. You get people excited about your business plan. Mm-hmm. But I think the biggest advice I would say is be focused and don't chase rabbits. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Uh, okay, good. <laughs> All right. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you recognize this company. Well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show is episode 122, David Campbell. And you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell. What's the best ever book you've read? Jonathan Livingston Siegel by uh, Bach. I think it's Richard Bach. What's the best ever personal growth experience and what'd you learn from it? Believe it or not, it was a bad experience. My son died and I had some medical issues and came across a book and learned how to find freedom in myself and serenity. And so uh, living for today, man, it's all about living for today. So that's big personal growth. How do you live for today while I assume you're also planning for tomorrow? So how do you balance that? I just set my plans up and let life take over and let it do its thing. As much as we want to change life, we can't change life. There's no way we change life. It, it, it comes and we've got to be able to deal with it. It's more how we deal with it inside ourselves. And so it's all about finding a way to, to deal with those things that happen in life. Whether it's good or bad, you just got to roll with it. And like uh, Nelson Mandela said, I never lose. I either win or I learn. And so I learned to not take as a win or loss. It's almost, somehow I'm going to win. I'm either going to, something good's going to happen or I'm going to learn from something. When something 
now happens that is a challenge, what do you think of, what do you focus on to make sure that that mentality that you just said that Nelson Mandela had, how are you able to take that and think about it so that you do have that mindset? Well, I'd say it takes time. It's not something that happens right away. I've been doing this for about three years since my, my son died and been trying to practice inner peace. And I've got things I study and, and I do meditation and all that kind of stuff. But I think the core is to really focus on what's happening and to shut our minds down. Our minds will sit there and, and just ramble on and talk about everything. And, and, we're, and we listen to it, right? And it, it'll be on both sides of an issue. It'll say, yeah, you can do this. Oh, no, you can't do this. And so we got to learn to shut our brains down and, and just go with life. What's the best ever deal you've done? One of the first properties we bought when we came to Phoenix, and it was called Tamarack Apartments. We bought this property and we repositioned it to, believe it or not, we found who were living there in the marketplace, like I had learned before, and we found that punk rockers were there, and these guys were helping us punk rockers. So we rented these properties out. The rents were going for about average 300 and after about four years, we got our rents up to about 645 and so we made about four times our money best ever way you like to give back? I'm a pretty positive guy, Joe. I've been a really inspirational person. I believe in good things happen to good people. And so the way I give back is I have a goal every year is to put a smile on somebody's face that's not having a good day. In fact, I tell my daughter when she drop her off at school, I say, you know, find somebody that's not having a good day and put a smile on their face. So I feel like that's a big part of it. And I like to feel like if we can just make our families more happy and better people, and if everybody did that, we'd have a great world. And so I feel like I really spend time on my family and trying to get them focused on living life for today and, and being happy. What's one tactic that you use to put a smile on someone's face who's not having a good day? I get them to think about, about today instead of thinking about tomorrow. Because they're always thinking about the past or something bad happened to them or thinking about the future, but I get them to focus on today and get them to believe in themselves. I mean, i got to tell you, and that's another big thing. I'm thinking about writing a book about it, how to unleash yourself because we're so afraid of life. I think about Kyle and my son and some other medical issues I have, and you start to think about death. That's probably the best feature it is out there. And I think about when I was back in high school. I was a really pretty girl I really liked. I was so afraid to go up and ask her to out. And I think about that today. That's the dumbest thing when I look back and I was afraid. And we're so afraid. And so I try to get people to open up and not be afraid of things. You're either going to win or you're going to learn. We're going to learn. It's a whole process. We start walking, we fall down. We're always learning. we got pencils, have erasers. But we're learning all the time. And as we learn, we make mistakes. We go forward. We learn more. We keep going forward. And that's how we get better at anything. I don't anybody's ever had it. Whatever they do, they always started with some sort of failures and they made mistakes. And, but they kept going. And so that fear shouldn't hold people back. What would you say is the biggest mistake you've made in real estate investing? Real estate investing. I've been in the business for a while. I had a management business. I had a brokerage business. I thought I understood the business. But until I actually got out there and got my back against the wall and we were struggling a little bit out of the gate and found that I really needed to know who my tenants are going to be, who's going to live in this property? Who are they? I need to know who they are so I can cater to them. I can create a lifestyle that no one else can. And so I think that's what my big mistake was. I didn't know that in advance. And I would tell you, Joe, most of these big operators that are managing 50,000 units and more, they don't really have a clear understanding of who their tenants are. They really don't. And so I would say for your listeners that want to get into multi-residential office space, any type of commercial properties where it's a business, you have customers, is to know who those customers are going to be before you buy the property. 
and you'll be able to be more successful because you can cater that property towards them. What's the best place the best ever listeners can reach you? I would just say go to Valley Hunt Academy, valleyhuntacademy.com. There's all kinds of resources there. It's, it's free. I've got tons of interviews from actual guys that are just syndicators, been doing this from just beginning up to 50 years. Sam Freshman, been doing 50 years, he's an icon. And I just say Valley Hunt Academy. There's all kinds of good stuff for you to, to have fun with. Well, Craig, this has been an educational conversation. Thank you for being on the show. Thank you for talking about how you got started, talking about syndication, talking about being focused, knowing who's going to live at the property, solving the big problem, and that will dictate the types of properties that you go after. Like you mentioned, does it have room for a soccer field in your one example? If not, then not going to work for me. And then having the right team members to actually execute on that. Talking about structures for preferred return from 6 to 9%, depending on the type of deal. And talking about the types of documents that are required to do syndications, as well as your personal growth experiences. My thoughts are with you and your family on what you mentioned, both for your son as well as your health and how you internalize that and approach it where the focus is on what's happening right now and putting a smile on someone's face every day is who's not having a good day, that being one of your goals. So really wide-ranging conversation, incredibly grateful. We had a chance to catch up. I know the best ever listeners as well thinking that. So thanks again for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you. Appreciate it, Joe. Take care of yourself. Are you looking for a hard money loan or do you have a mortgage note that you want to sell? Then email David at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you recognize this company. Well, that's because David was a best ever guest on the show. is episode 122, David Campbell. And you can email him at david at hasslefreecashflowinvesting.com if you're looking for a hard money loan or if you have a mortgage note to sell.